Revelation chapter 2, 18. This, we stopped last week on the church of Thyatira. So look at verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. That speaks to Jesus in judgment. And I talked about that. Verse 19, I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. And we talked about that last week. Verse 20, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which causes, calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and eat things sacrificed unto idols. And that started leading to what this church period, this church here represents that church period of 500 to 1000 A.D., which was the rise of the Catholic Church. It started rising up. And Jesus Christ starts referring to it as Jezebel. And later on we'll see in Revelation there's a whore that rides the beast. And we'll see that's a religious system. And we'll talk about that when we get to that chapter. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But verse uh, 21. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented now, not. I gave space to her, I gave space to her, to, uh, I gave, I, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication. And she repented not. Now, if you know the story of Jezebel, the end of Jezebel, whenever God had prophesied, Jezebel, you're going to get yours in the end. And he promised that the dogs were going to eat Jezebel. Well, she lived for years and years and years after that prophecy. And maybe she thought that was never going to happen. But whenever God got, God got ready, there was a king of Israel that rose up. God told that king, I want you to go take care of Jezebel. So he got on his horse, and he ran into town, and Jezebel knew he's coming. So Jezebel, the Bible says, she put on a bunch of makeup. She got herself all painted up, and she went to the, the, the two second, she like a second and third story building. She went to the window, and she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, you know that you've, you've caused Israel to sin, and you're nothing but a whore. And, he, and there's two eunuchs by her. And the Bible says, those, he tells those eunuchs, whoever's on the God's side, throw her down here. And her servants, those eunuchs, the Bible says they took her, just like this picture shows, and just threw her down. And she died. And that king went and had supper. I guess it was a good day, so he went and had supper. And he said, you know what, go, go bury Jezebel. She was the daughter of a king. They went to go find Jezebel. All they could find was her hands. The dogs had eaten everything else. Just like God said would happen. Guys, when you read something in this book, you can be guaranteed it's going to take place. Might not be today. Might not be tomorrow. Not be, might not be for another 10, 20 years. It's going to take place. Believe this book. And that's what happened to Jezebel. She was judged by God. She didn't repent. And God took care of her. Verse 22. Bold, I will cast her into, bed, into a bed with them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So he had been warning the church, hey, if you don't repent of what you're doing with her, we're going to, if you don't repent of what you're doing with her, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to judge you. And I'm going to throw you in bed with her, and it's not going to be anything good happen to you. And this is what happens in verse 23. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. God knows what's going on in your heart. God knows what direction you're taking. And I, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, I will give unto every one of you. That's you this morning, according to your works. Okay, so a Christian saved, praise God. We're not going to go to the great white throne judgment. You're not going to go to hell anymore. You're going to heaven, praise God. That's why we sing the songs we sing. That's why we praise Jesus Christ. But everybody in this room that's a Christian will be judged for their works. The Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the judgment seat of Christ. 
that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. These are for believers, not non-believers, but anybody who's a Christian in here, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ. He's going to judge us for what we did or didn't do for him. We will be judged. Now, our salvation's intact, according to 1 Corinthians 3, but we will have to answer to him. So, guys, Jesus is watching you, and I know it keep, I keep going over this during these uh, Sunday sermons, but it's, an, it's something that we need to remember, that Jesus is watching over us, watching what we do. He's watching what we don't do, and uh, we need to keep that in mind. That's interesting, verse 23. And I will kill her children with death. I will kill her children with death. That's an interesting way to put it. Kill with death. Well, I thought death is death. I thought death was killing. Well, what's interesting about that phrase, in this time period of church history, something happens. God sends a plague. And the Bible right there says, I'm going to kill your children with death. And the world knows this as the black death. At this time in church history, the Black Death took place. The Black Plague, the Black Death. Here's the world's most devastating plague. They called it Black Death. And it ran through Europe. It started up in here, and it ran through the, all the known world. Uh, you think COVID was bad. COVID was nothing compared to this. Nothing. COVID was child's play compared to Black Death. Whenever God sent that plague, it started here. You see, this is not a Christian map. These are, this is something you can get off of Google, get off the Internet. When you want to study the Black Death, the Black Plague, it started right up here in Sicily, and it just starts moving outwards. So you see these little red lines that represents as it's moving outwards, almost like an earthquake or something. But you see it started right up in here. That's right there where the Catholic Church was at. Jezebel was right there. And it started here, and it moved out. Black Death killed, according to, according to statistics, upwards to 75 to 200 million people were killed by the Black Death. It was so bad they'd just put the dead out, the, out at the street and they'd come by in carts and throw dead people on the carts. COVID's nothing compared to what, what happened with the Black Death. And you hear there, there you see in the Bible it says, I, Jesus says, I will kill her children with death. And that's exactly what happened. Because the Catholic Church was growing in power, people were getting away from God. This Black Death was believed to have been caused by fleas, spread by fleas that were on rats. What's interesting when you study Black Death, when you study the Black Plague is, the Jews were hated during the Black Plague. The Jews were persecuted during the Black Plague. The Black Plague in generality, and the Black Plague did not touch the Jewish communities. So you'd have the Jewish communities in Hungary, you had the Jewish communities in these European countries, Black Plague would spread through towns, half the, pop, half the people would die in the town, and hardly any Jews died. So they started blaming the Jews for the Black Plague. To this day, over in Germany and over in Iran and Iraq and the Muslim countries, they refer to Jews as rats. And the reason why they refer to Jews as rats, it traces back to the Black Plague where they believe the rats, the fleas were on the rats, and the rats were carrying the Black Plague, so they refer to Jews to, as rats. They blamed the Jews for everything that happened with the Black Plague back in the day. And they killed the Jews for it. Why were the Jews not getting the Black Plague? Number one, they're God's chosen people. But number two, the Jews were following God's law. So remember, this is in 1100, this is starting in like 1300, 1400, 1500. What did they not know about? They didn't know about germs. 
So what was happening was the Jews were following God's law, and if you know God's law, you wash your hands. You, it's all about cleanliness. And now that we know about germs, what God was telling the Jew way back 3,500 years ago, there's germs. You need to wash your hands before you eat. You need to not anything that's strangled, not anything that's, that's been dead. You find dead There's all because it's had time for the germs to get in there. They were a clean people. That's why they didn't die. But they were blamed for the black death back in that time. Let's go back to the word of God. Verse 24, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. So in the middle of verse 24, Jesus says, as many as have not this doctrine, that doctrine that was taught by Jezebel, that doctrine we've talked about, and I mentioned it last week with the Catholic Church, not the Catholic people. I'm not trying to attack anybody in here who has Catholic relatives or that uh, knows Catholic people. I'm not talking about Catholic people. I'm talking about the, the Catholic system, the religious Catholic system that's anti-Bible and anti-liberty, that Catholic system. And that's what we're studying on. That's what's been brought up in church history. So he's saying there, as many as have not this doctrine. Brothers and sisters, doctrine's important. And it amazes me that some of these modern-day churches, I don't mean around here, but I see them on the Internet and on and on, on TV, on the YouTube stuff, I see them, and they care nothing about doctrine. It's all about how does your heart feel about something? How is your heart leading you? They don't go to the Bible and find out what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, they don't like what the Bible says, so they ignore it. So how does your heart, what is, where is your heart leading you? You know what the Bible says about your heart? Amen. It's desperately wicked. No man can know it. It'll, it's deceitful and desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. No man can know. You can't know your heart. Your heart will deceive you. Well, how do I not be deceived? You get into the book. And the doctrine's important. He says, that as many as have not this doctrine. That's why in this church, to the best of our ability, we try to follow the doctrine of the Word of God. Rightly divide it. Make sure we have proper doctrine. It's important. And look at this, verse 24. And which have not known the depths of Satan. As they speak. So what they would say is, and you see this sometimes, I'm going to show you the deeper things of God. They'll say, I'm going to show you the deeper things of God. And actually they're showing you the deeper things of Satan. With some of the doctrine. The prosperity message is some of the doctrine that goes against the word of God. I will put on you none other burden. Verse 25, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. Hold on to what you have. Hold fast. Hold on. And he that overcometh, and I talked about overcoming, we do that through the belief in Jesus Christ. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. That power over the nations is when Jesus Christ, and we'll study this in Revelation, hang with me. Revelation 20, this is when Jesus Christ comes back to this world and rules this world from Jerusalem on a throne of David in Jerusalem. He's going to rule this world from Jerusalem for a thousand years. We call that doctrinally the millennial thousand, millennial thousand year kingdom. The thousand millennial kingdom. That's the millennial kingdom. And he says there, you're going to rule with him. I will give power over the nations. And we just read in Revelation chapter 1, if you remember that Jesus Christ said, I'm going to make them kings and priests. Kings and priests. So people in this room are going to be rulers over the known world as I, with, in our resurrected body. I sure can't rule over the world in my body I have right now. You don't want me ruling this world. There's a lot of things I'd be doing away with. Like parking that's straight ahead. I hate that parking. I want to make it all like this. 
And if I, was a, if I was a governor of the great state of Texas, I'd do away with all speed bumps. No more speed bumps. Just keep your kids to your side because people are going to drive as fast as they want to. That's what I do. That's why, you, that's why you don't want me running this country. I'd mess it up. But in my resurrected body, in our resurrected body, remember what the Bible says. We're going to be resurrected in our new body and we're going to have the mind of Christ. We won't have this flesh, this sinful flesh that we have right now. Praise God. That's a great promise. Because sometimes when you tell people, hey, I'm going to heaven, they think I'm going to heaven like I am right now. I'm not going to go to heaven with all the pains, all the aches, all the back aches, with no hair. I'm going to go to heaven, have hair. I'm going to be, 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 have a glorified body. Amen? I had a lady in the church. We were talking about how old are we going to be in heaven? You ever thought about that? So I said, well, Jesus Christ and his glorified body was 33 and a, 33 and a half years old. So we're, we're thinking, and Adam was probably created mature. Adam was probably 33 years old. That's about the perfect age, right? All us old people will say amen to that. Right? I wish I was 33 again. So when I told her that and showed her in the scripture, you know what she said to me? No, no, my, I don't, my granddad, he's going to be old. She wants her granddad to look like he looked for her when she was a little kid. And I hated to bust her bubble, but I said, your granddad don't want to look like that. You remember your granddad being that age? He don't want to be that age for eternity, amen? All right. That's a rabbit trail. This is throwing it out there. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Verse 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter, so they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. In other words, when we rule this kingdom with Jesus Christ, and of course Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, when he rules this world, there'll be none of this nonsense you see going on. So we're going to rule it with a rod of iron. No more nonsense. And he's going to, these countries that are ruling, he's going to break them up. Boom. Just like, a, just like you take that like you take that vessel that's on top of that piano and just throw it and bust it into a million pieces. That's what he's going to do with these kingdoms. Verse 28. And I'll give him the morning star. This is, a reason, this is just another reason why I don't like the NIV. And don't uh, use the NIV as the word of God. Because there it says, I'll give him the morning star. What is that morning star? Well, according to Revelation 22, 16, Jesus Christ is the morning star. What is the morning star? Well, Peter calls it the day star. The day star. What is the day star? That's that big sun that comes over that hill that comes up and lights the whole world. Jesus Christ says, I'm the light of the world. Just like the sun is the light of the world, he's the morning star. He's the one that rises up, the day star that brings daylight to the world. All the other stars are little just specks up in the sky. He's the day star. He's the morning star. He's the one that brings the morning. He's the sun, S-U-N. The Bible says in Malachi that Jesus Christ is going to, rise, is going to be the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings like an angel. Beautiful scripture. So there it says, I'll give him the morning star. In other words, Jesus Christ, I'm going to give those people that love me, I'm going to give them me. Isn't that the best gift you could have? Amen. Amen. So he, I, the reason why I don't like to use the NIV is because you see that in Isaiah chapter 14, when you study that, that's, a, that's prophecy or a story about Lucifer. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? And you read Isaiah 14, that's a, about uh, Satan when he fell from heaven, when God cast him out of heaven, and he, talk, and he calls him there, thou fallen from heaven, and he calls him Lucifer. We know that's another name for Satan. Lucifer, what does Lucifer mean? That's akin to these right here. Those lights above me, they're lucent. 
Is that real light? That imitates the real light, right? It's lucent. What's the real light? When you go outside and that day star, that morning star, that S-U-N is rising, when it's up there in the sky, that's the real light. This is a false light, right? Lucifer, lucent for one. He's a light bringer. So at one time, Satan was a bringer of light. He wasn't the light. Jesus Christ is the light, but he brought the light. He would bring that light. Well, he fell, and he was a son of the morning. So if you read in Job chapter 38, the Bible refers to angels as the sons of God, the morning stars, the sons of God. That's what he was, a son of the morning. We know more, the morning being Jesus Christ. So he was a created being by Jesus Christ. And he fell. Now, if you got an NIV, and I hope uh, this doesn't hurt your feelings if you do, but if you have an NIV, how art you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth. You once laid low the nations. See that, that, that translation, morning star? That's not in any Hebrew manuscript. They just put that in there. And the reason why that's so wicked is we know according to Revelation chapter uh, 2, Revelation chapter 22, that Jesus Christ is the morning star. So the NIV is giving Jesus Christ that title of Jesus Christ, giving it to Lucifer in Isaiah 14, 12. See that? See, that's no big deal, brother. We all know that's Lucifer, really. Because when you study Luciferians, they'll say, see, even the Bible has Lucifer as being the Messiah right there. Because they take that and then they go to Revelation. Revelation 22, that's what they do. With your NIV, if you have NIV. That's why I don't like an NIV. That's why I don't like an NIV. I don't use an NIV. Verse 29, he that hath the ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's move on to the next one. The church of Sardis. That's going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church of Sardis, right, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. I talked about that before. That's uh, talked about in Isaiah 11. And the seven stars. We know the seven stars are seven angels, according to Revelation 1. I know thy works. There it is again. Every church, Jesus Christ starts out to say to every church, I know your works. I know thy works. I know thy works. You know what Jesus Christ would say when he walked in those back doors this morning? He would turn to us and we'd let him get up and speak and he'd say, I know thy works. You know what I would do? Well, I would kind of elbow my way past all of y'all to get down here to repent at that right there. And I hope a lot of y'all would be trying to beat me up here. Because if my Lord and Savior said, I know your works, I'd be, okay, Lord, I'll get down on my knees. What else are you going to do? Argue with him? Oh, I'm glad you know my works, Lord. <laughs> Maybe y'all are better Christians than me. I can't wait to meet Jesus Christ, but I kind of fear that day. At the judgment seat of Christ. When the Lord puts my works through the fire, and we're going to see what all I did for Him and what all I did for myself and men. And the Bible says everything I did for man and everything I did for myself is going to go up in a flame. And everything I did for Jesus Christ is going to be like gold and silver and precious stones, and it'll come out so they can make a crown for me. And I fear that day. I fear that day to stand before my Savior and Him to give me that look that says, I know thy works. I can't encourage you enough to do what you can for Jesus Christ. Because, yeah, we're saved, and praise God, we should be happy we're saved. But we should also keep in mind that we were saved for good works. Does everybody in here know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9? Everybody know that verse? I'm going to turn to it and read it to you. 
And when I read it, I bet it'll be familiar if you don't know the verse. Scripture. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says. And this is a real, real famous verse. Tebow, would wear, Tebow, the football star, he wore these, this verse on his black eyeliner that he wore, you know, for the football part, they'd put that black liner. He put Ephesians 2, he put Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 right here. And this is what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. For by grace are you saved through faith. Amen. And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That's the best news you've ever heard. It's by God's grace you're saved. It's not by your works. It's a gift of God. In other words, you go to God and you say, God, by faith, I, will, I trust in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And by his grace, you're saved by your faith. And it's not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do to get saved. It is a gift of God. He's going to give it to you. Praise God. Why does he do that? Why? Verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no way you're going to work your way into heaven because he don't want you getting up there and boasting about what all you've done for God. He wants you to get to heaven and have that humble spirit and say, if it wasn't for that guy right there, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be here. And see this little crown I have? Now I'm going to throw it at his feet because I love him. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's wonderful scriptures. Everybody in this room needs to know that scripture. You need to know where it's at in your Bible. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We're all new creatures in Christ in here. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What are we created for? Unto good works. You're not saved by work, but Christ saved you to work. There's a difference. Now some of our brothers and sisters, they don't even, I, don't, I assume they're saved. Some of these different denominations, they teach that you've got to work to be saved. And the, they got it backwards. You don't work to be saved. You get saved, and then your love for Jesus Christ won't, makes you want to work. Don't you feel like you, you owe him? I know I do. Hey, praise God. I know I do. I know thy works. This is Revelation chapter 3. Let's get back to Revelation chapter 3. I know thy works, that thou hast, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and are dead. So there's a name at that time that, like, hey, that you live, but you're dead. So this Sardis translates out to red ones. And that period is from A.D. 1000 to about A.D. 1500. That's the church period. Church history is about 1000 A.D. to 1500. So it says there at the end of verse 1, that thou hast a name that thou livest. This is when the Catholic church was at its strongest. This period of history, church history, world history, for about 500 years, the Catholic Church was at its strongest. The popes practically run the known world. The popes ran the known world. And kings and queens did what the popes said. And if they didn't, they, were, they were, went to war to fight with the popes. It was A.D. 1000 to 1500. And Christ says there, at this time, Thou hast a name that thou livest. There's the Catholic Church. There's Christ, supposedly. And he says, But thou art dead. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have ever been into a Catholic church. I've been into a few, and there's nothing more dead you can walk into. I don't think a funeral home is more dead than a Catholic church. I've walked into Catholic churches in Brownwood. I've walked one in San Antonio. I walked into one in San Antonio, and it was so dead, it was like walking into a tomb. There's no, the Holy Spirit's not there. It's long gone, and I encourage everybody in here who's never stepped into a Catholic church, go into a Catholic church, because you see pictures of them, and you're like, man, that looks beautiful. It looks so amazing. The, the, the gold, and the, it's ornate, ornate, it's beautiful. But when you walk into it spiritually, it's dead like a tomb. 
I encourage you to look into it. My wife was on a tour down in San Antonio, and they went to a lot of the Catholic churches. And all she did is come back and talk about the spiritual wickedness and the death and how it's just felt this is the weirdest uh, thing. Yeah, you got to experience that to, to understand it. So this is the Catholic church at its height. So it says, Thou hast a name that thou livest, but are dead. So the Catholic church is at its strongest, but spiritually dead as a doorknob. This is before Martin Luther. Martin Luther's about to rise up. Martin Luther, which you got the Lutheran denomination. Martin Luther, he revolts against the Catholic Church, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So this is the time right before Martin Luther. Martin Luther, at the very end of this church period, rises up. But the Catholic Church is at its strongest at this time, and it's as dead as, as, as a doorknob. This is known in church history and in world history. It don't matter if you study church history or you study world history. You turn on Discovery Channel, you turn on History Channel, whatever channel you turn on or whatever book you pick up, if you read about this period of time from, from that 1,000 to 1,500, it's always referred to as the Dark Ages. And you say, why is it referred to as the Dark Ages? Because the Catholic Church, a dead religious devil-run system, is at its height and power in controlling the known world, and it puts everybody into darkness. Everybody. Science, art, music, religion, everything goes into darkness because of the Catholic Church. And that's why it's referred to as the Dark Ages. Study world history and you'll find that out. This is the time where the Catholic Church has all the crusades. Almost every crusade was during this time. They would bring these men up. They would baptize them, supposedly in the river. They'd bring them up as, as an army and they'd say, go conquer for Jesus Christ. And they'd go out and conquer and have war to kill for Jesus Christ. Trying to make a kingdom Trying to bring in a kingdom for Jesus Christ. Because the Pope is the vicar. You understand what that means when they say that? They believe that the Pope is Jesus Christ on this earth. He represents Jesus Christ on this earth. So what the vicar says is what God wants to happen. That's how they're running that thing. And then you have the Spanish Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition. Let's talk about this a little bit. So the Crusades. At this time in church history, the Catholic Church... Here's all the crusades that they were doing, mainly trying to get over here to Jerusalem and take that back from Islam. Because they think that that belongs to the Catholic Church. Jerusalem doesn't belong to the Catholic Church. Jerusalem doesn't belong to any Christian in this room. Jerusalem belongs to the Jew. And it belongs to Israel. Because that's God's chosen people. And he told Abraham, way before we came along, that land belongs to you and I give it to you and everybody else is trespassing on it. And the Catholic Church at this time tried to conquer the known world through war to try to get that piece of land. And they went through here warring all through there. So what he would do is this first pope, he'd, just, he'd preach to all the troops. And then he'd send them out. He'd send them out in hordes just killing people, killing Islam. He'd, the story goes, when you study it, the story goes, they'd go to these Muslims and say, do you accept Jesus Christ? And they're like, no. And they're off with your head and they cut their head off. The total opposite of what Christ, Christ did not bring in a kingdom right now. The kingdom of Christ is not meat and drink, it's spiritualness. I thought you said that, that Jesus is going to rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. He does. At the end, when he comes back, he's not here right now. And no stupid pope is going to be the king of this world. Get that out of your head. I don't care. Ratzinger. Pope Ratzinger who changed his name. Pope Ratzinger, he was part of the Nazi youth. He's part of the Nazi youth, Ratzinger. 
He changes his name when he becomes a pope. This is modern, modern history. He changes his name in the 90s to Benedict. So he stands, Benedict, Ben, Ben, good, Dick, dictionary, word, the good word. He stands on these, and he, people are cheering him and kissing him and worshiping him, and he's standing up there doing that, the good word. That's modern-day pope. And that's what they did in the Crusades. They just come just killing people for Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to kill people if they don't like Jesus Christ, amen? We're supposed to love our enemies. That's what my Savior said. So here they come and just hordes. I got pictures of this. So the Spanish Inquisition. Spanish Inquisition was when the Catholic Church started determining that if you don't believe what they believe, they're going to kill you. And they started rounding them up by the thousands and thousands and thousands. Remember, Sardis means the red ones. At this time in church history, there was more people killed by the Catholic Church than any other time. And they were killed for why? For having this. For trying to translate these words into modern-day English, into the language, that they, for German, into English and German, they were trying to, they would kill you. And this is where it happened. Spanish Inquisition. Now, it's kind of hard to see these grainy black and white pictures, but it just shows them they just tortured people until they said they believed what the Catholic Church taught. Some of the things the Catholic Church teaches is whenever you take the sacrament, every Sunday they have what we call the Lord's Supper. They take the bread and they take the wine. We use grape juice because we don't believe it's fermented. They believe it was fermented. They take fermented wine, leavened up wine that's liquored up, alcohol, and they take it and they drink it. And they believe when you take that drink, when you take a drink of that, it turns into the literal blood of Jesus Christ in your body. And when you take that wafer, that cracker that we, that's unleavened, when you take that and you eat that, they believe that that turns into the literal body of Jesus Christ. And that's called transubstitation. I can't hardly say the word. That means that they think, just like Jesus said in, in John chapter 6, you must drink my blood and eat my flesh. And they take that literal. That's why they believe that. And if you didn't believe that, like these believers here didn't believe it, because they have Bibles to study, they would kill you. In this picture, you might not be able to see it, but I put a little red mark here. They've got the, they have the Bible opened up. They've got the priest sitting there while they're killing people for not believing what they believe. And they got, see that cross right there? What, why is that a Catholic cross? Anybody know? Because <coughs> Jesus is still on that cross. So a Catholic cross has got Jesus on the cross being tortured. Why do we not have Jesus on the cross? He's gone. <laughs> Really, the symbol that every Christian should have is a little tomb with an open road. That's the symbol we should have. But I'm okay with the cross, but the point is, our Savior's not on the cross. He's down. It's already been done. He's in the tomb. He's come out of the tomb. He's resurrected. He's long alive. Why are you, having him on, why are you still having him tortured on the cross? That's, let me tell you something. See that when Christ is on that cross? That's the devil's greatest moment. That's when Satan... That's Satan's greatest moment when Jesus, when he's up on the cross like that right there shows you, that's when Jesus became literal sin according to the Bible. Why would you want to do that? I had a preacher one time I heard preaching and he said, if your son was, was killed by a gun, would you carry a gun around on your neck as a symbol of your son? And that made it, convicted me. Now I'm not saying I don't believe in a cross and I have crosses, but... The truth is, our symbol is a resurrected Savior. And that cross without Jesus Christ shows you he's not on the cross, he's resurrected. He's long gone. He's long gone. Let's finish this up.
because I'm running a little behind. Verse 2, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. He says, Watch. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. We were commanded by Jesus Christ all through the Gospels, and here again to the church, to be watching for him. You should be praying and watching for Jesus Christ to come back. That's good for you. You know what happens when you watch for somebody? You think they're coming, they could come at any time. Okay, let me ask you this question. If I called you up and said, hey, brother, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, man. I said, well, I'm about an hour away, and I'm going to come by your house. I'll see you in about an hour, brother. So you'd hang your phone up, you'd run in there, get all the beer, make sure it's off the table, Get all put up and clean up. Isn't that pretty much what would happen? Isn't that what we do when relatives call? If they even do call? Don't you hate it when they just show up at your door and knock and you're like, oh, I didn't even have time to mop or sweep? Or, the point is, is that we get ready for them. So if you're watching for Jesus Christ and you know that he could come back at any moment, you're going to kind of keep things cleaner, aren't you? Amen. That's why he wants you to watch. Verse 4. Thou hast a few names. Even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. Now, during this time of the Catholicism, when it rose to its strongest strength of, of world history, there were still people that were doing the right, time, right things in this, in this world history. And that didn't follow the church and that were believers in Jesus Christ and the Bible. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I have that verse thrown up here on the, on the board. So there was a group of Bible believers... Even though the Catholic Church is really strong, there's a group of Bible believers at that time. They were called the Waldesians. They were called the Albigenes. They were called the Lollards. They were called Anabaptists. They were called Paulicians. These groups of believers were Bible believers that followed the Bible, that never were a part of the Catholic Church. They never were part of that Catholic system. They believed in the book, and they, they preached outside. They tried to witness to people about Jesus Christ. They basically are like me and you. So what you'll have people try to tell you, people who don't know church history, they'll try to tell you, we all came from the Catholic Church. That's horse manure. That's, that's nonsense. They don't know church history. We've always been apart, uh, apart from the Catholic Church. Brothers and sisters, if I can teach you anything that you can grab a hold of this morning, grab a hold of this, you're not Catholic and you're not Protestant. You're outside of the Protestant movement. Martin Luther was a Protestant. He was part of the Catholic Church. He protested the Catholic Church, which was the right thing to do. There's nothing wrong with being a Protestant, but we're not, our history is not Protestant. Our history is not protested. Our history has always been separate from the Catholic Church. That's why we were murdered by the thousands. St. Bartholomew Massacre, go study that out. They wasn't killed them by 40, 50, 60,000. Believers in Jesus Christ, the Catholic Church did this stuff. We've always been a part of that. See that word right there, Anabaptist? Anabaptist, anti, anti-Baptist. That's us. That's our heritage. What does that mean? The Catholic Church taught that when you were born as a little baby, you, you were took by the priest, he sprinkled you, you became a part of the church during that, that sprinkling, you were baptized into the church, therefore you're part of the church, you're part of Christ, then you got it. that's what they taught. And we know in the scripture, that's nowhere in scripture. It's called believer's baptism. You believe in Jesus Christ, and then you're baptized. A little baby can't do that, amen? So we as 
Anabaptists, we protested that. They called us Anabaptists. They called us anti-pedio-baptists, pedio-children, anti-children Baptists. We, we were against child baptism. We taught that you got to be believers and then saved. Why would we teach that? Because we know our Bible. Acts chapter 8, we know our Bible. All, this, all these groups were here. And there were groups of believers and great men who opposed the Catholic Church. So that's starting with Martin Luther. At the end of this church history, that's Martin Luther. And we'll get into more, more with him next week, Lord willing. Martin Luther, John Wycliffe, that's a great man of the Bible right there. He's the one that helped translate this Bible you got in your lap right there. He started that translation. Peter Waldo, he's the one that fought, started the Waldesians. They're, these brothers right here, they believe what you believe, which is what? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Whenever Martin Luther was reading Galatians and Ephesians, you know what he came to the conclusion of when he's reading the book of Galatians and Ephesians? God showed him a lot and he said, you know what? We're saved by faith. Not of works. We don't have to go through the Catholic Church. We don't have to, do, we don't have to pay a priest. We don't have to uh, have a priest confess our, uh, hear our confession. We're saved by grace through Jesus Christ by faith. We're not saved by works. That's what he came to conclude. And the way he came to that conclusion is by reading his Bible. This is church history. Verse 5. And we'll, we'll, we'll close here in verse 5 and 6. He that overcometh, the same should be clothed in white raiment. We know how to overcome. That's 1 John 5, 4, by Jesus Christ, by believing in Jesus Christ. He that overcometh, the same should be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. There you go. So what that says is that Jesus Christ says, if you overcome, which you overcome by believing in Jesus Christ, that's found in 1 John 5, 4. He says, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. So when you get to the end of this revelation, Revelation chapter 20, there's a great white throne judgment. God pulls all the men and women of the world, he pulls them up to be judged. And the Bible says at that time there's a book of life open. And if your name is not found written in that book of life, you're, take, you're took and you're cast into a devil's hell, lake of fire. So right there it says, I will not blot out his name out of that book of life. See how it says blot out? That implies that your name's already written in there. But it also says that it can be blotted out. Not your name that are saved, but your, that, the, the book originally has everybody's name in there. And when they don't receive Jesus Christ, they have their name blotted out. See, God in Deuteronomy said, I'll not blot their name out of my book. So it implies that, hey, you're born. Everybody here was born. And your name is written in this book. And then if you don't take Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is just blotted out. Where you can't be, it can't be read. Something very important Jesus Christ says about himself. He says, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. There's something important about confession. There's something important about confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you get saved and you believe in Jesus Christ, you need to tell other people that you have got saved. Jesus Christ, you know what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 10? He said, he said if he conf you confess my name, I'll confess. If the, the him that confesses my name, I'll confess him before the Heavenly Father. Him that denies me, I'll deny before the Heavenly Father. Him that confesses me, I'll confess for the angels of heaven. Him that denies me, I'll deny for the angels of heaven. Guys, it's very important to confess him with your mouth. Why is that so important? Because your mouth shows where your heart's at. If your heart, you put your heart on Jesus Christ, then your mouth should say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Amen. It should. Verse 6, And he that hath an ear, let him hear. 
what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So if you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope you've heard it. I hope you were listening enough to say, you know what, I need to get saved. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to come back and judge this world. And I want to be on the other side. I, want to him, I already want my sins judged at, on the world right here in this earth. And that took place at Calvary with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it's real simple. It's a free gift. If you're willing to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're willing to admit that you're a sinner and you need Jesus Christ, and you're willing with your mouth to say, Jesus Christ, just pray to him. The best way you know how is say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. Will you save me? He'll save you by your faith with grace. And it's a free gift. He'll give you that free gift of salvation. That's what he did for me. He'll do it for everybody in here. If you don't know Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, I thank you, Father, for your book that we can read and study. Lord, I thank you for these men and women, Lord, that bled and died, Lord, to get this book into our hands. Lord, help us to respect it, to look at it as being holy like it is, Lord God, and to read it and to follow it every day, Lord God. And we thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy. Lord, and if there's somebody who needs to sound my voice that's not saved, that wants to get saved, Lord, we pray they'll come on down here and get saved and confess you. But, Lord, we, Father, I pray, I pray and thank you, Father, for these people that love you. They came out this morning. They could have been anywhere else, Lord, but they decided to come out to your house, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that they made that decision, Father. And I hope that it was like holy manna come down, Lord, that you fed us. And we thank you for leading us and guiding us. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray, amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world, but... Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. 
that goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.